Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, it's your crazy joker. That's right. I know this is supposed to be the Suicide Squad, but I'm crazy mumble rap joker, and I'm here to ruin that for you all. <laughs> and by the way, at Craft Services, I'm going to need you to refer to me, Jared Leto, as the Joker. That's right. So it is Mr. Joker, would you like some more soup? Mr. Joker, would you like us to replenish the fruit tray anytime I'm at Craft Services? <laughs> Here's a dead rat, Jake. Enjoy. It's method acting. <laughs> Put another shrimp on the barbie uh, and get your Sheila's over here because, oh no, it's me, Australian Captain Boomerang. It's, uh, that's not a knife. That's a knife. Uh, there's a chip in me brain. It'll explode if I disobey a very bossy black lady. <laughs> very good. And you're a wizard. Bruiser, Jake. Oh, whatever you Captain, are. <laughs> Captain Boomerang Wizard, Jake. This is Jake. such a weird one. I, I, I'm glad we're finally getting to this one because not only, it, I love one of the, these topics because not only does it tell the story a little bit of the history of comic books, but it definitely tells the story of the history of um, superheroes and, more importantly, supervillains in the history of uh, superhero cinema with the very fascinating 2016 Suicide Squad. Uh, we'll call it a bungling. Release the air cut, you cowards. Give me my air, my air we cut. We let the good guys get a recut. Let's give the bad guys a recut. And <laughs> also, though, on top of yeah, but nothing. That's what's so funny about. All right, he's talking about people. I would, I would watch the shit. I out would of watch the, David the shit Ayer out cut. of it, but nothing's going to change just, the fact. Just that, like, so the movie was even remotely consistent in tone or idea yes, of what the fuck it was. I'm definitely interested in it, but at the same time, you cannot take away the fundamental fuckery that is. What that movie was, the rehearsal process of that movie, the the dumb fuck method acting shit that Jared Leto did, his take on the Joker. I mean, he would, I don't know. I don't see a planet in which that cut uh, ends up surviving uh, uh, or, or being like even at all regarded like the Snyder one was. But it, I, I digress. Um, I mean, the guy did direct the first Fast and the Furious. Let's not take it away from him, right? But everyone knows that the series, the franchise didn't get good until the fifth one. We we are jumping way ahead, though, Jake. Remember how the plot of the first Fast and the Furious movie revolved around a truck full of uh, combo DVD televisions? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but before that is is the whole history in comics. And I didn't know really anything about the history in comics. And I do think it's quite fascinating. It reminds me a little bit of our Scarlet Witch episode, just in the sense of it being kind of miraculous that the this team referred to as the Suicide Squad managed to make it from the very early-ish days of comics into 
a prominence today with the team that you know it's known for more so Deadshot, uh, Harley Quinn, um, you know the Cro- Killer Croc and uh, the Enchantress and Katana and so on and so forth. But but it, it started as like a, fl- a fluky thing. It was brought back kind of in a fluky way, and then it evolved in this very bizarre fashion so uh growing up i was uh, obsessed with comic books my dad loved comic books and kind of the collector boom gave him an excuse to quote unquote invest right and share his childhood love with me and that uh led to a love of superman a love of captain america and so my prime comic book reading years were uh was like the death and death of superman and the reign of the superman with all the four superman <laughs> guys and i actually in a weird way, the Suicide Squad was like a prominent part of my early childhood comic uh, books because Carl Kessel, who was an inker on the original quote unquote slash reboot 80s Suicide Squad, was the writer of the standalone Superboy cool 90s comic book. And they had a whole thing where he joined the Suicide Squad, mm. which was such a weird concept even in the 90s, like with no uh, background, it was kind of a weird Paul. It was kind of just a just having fun with some characters that like only this one guy really cared about by that point. But the idea of like the we'll get to how the idea was formed and like how it came to prominence. But it's such a brilliant way to make use of one of the main uh, products of a comic book universe, which is. Thousands upon thousands of weird ass villain Throw characters. Throw away, be just there for a single issue, somebody that is just fodder for one of our main characters, and then we barely ever see them again. And this is exactly what is perfect for this, is bringing them back in this way, but bringing them back in, an again, a flagrant way. The team is called the Suicide Squad. They are definitely set up to die, and we are definitely, everyone's going to be okay if they do die, aside from maybe, like, Harley Quinn, you know, for the most part. It's like, yeah, man, let's go for it. And I like that. Feeling. It's kind of like the feeling I had watching Rogue One, right? And realizing about halfway through the movie, like, oh, these people are doomed. And like, there's something freeing about that story-wise and something that's very liberating about that that I truly think is one of the most exciting concepts. But yes, also, I'm especially excited about, and this is, of course, the reason for the season, the new James Gunn film coming out. And in the sense that, Not only is it fun to say, hey, any of these people can die. It's also a lot of fun to be like, hey, this is going to be like, these are like, a lot of these people are, know they're shitty villains. They're they're (laughs) depressed. Like, this is a comedy as much as it is an action movie where anybody can die. And as much as it is a superhero movie. And I think that that's kind of funny in hindsight. And we'll get more into when we talk about the air cup. But what I realize is like, I think the studio, especially after that first trailer, realized that they didn't know they realized that they needed the what James Gunn would eventually bring to the franchise and not like a dark, gritty well, suicide squad. It can go either way. It that's can. what that's the tragedy. But the studio clearly like wanted a movie that didn't exist from air. Right. Uh for Suicide Squad, it's very bizarre. We will we'll unpack that, by the way, in this episode. What, what I'm briefly over talking about because you can have Suicide Squad, the like rude attitude, bad boys, like shitty villains, just being shitty and having fun with that, or you can go the Task Force X, yeah, kind of route where 
this is in a world full of fantastical people and idealistic heroes, uh, you know, uh, I, I hate that we can't keep referring to the original Suicide Squad as John Ostrander's 80s Suicide yeah. Squad because technically there was a 50s Suicide yes. Squad. But I'm going to say the original Suicide Squad. The true OG. Yeah. I mean, I think before that it was like barely, yeah, yeah, barely a thing. So this was post-Iran-Contra. This was post-Watergate. Yeah. Like trust in the government, kind of the Pentagon Papers, all these like the real black ops, wet works kind of bullshit that the U.S. government uh, was doing kind of came to light. And the idea that, you know, the the people behind the scenes aren't like honorable warriors or like cold uh, or steely eyed patriots, but are like conniving, backstabbing bastards as much as anyone else really filled the popular imagination. And so introducing Amanda Waller and Rick Flagg, Rick Flagg Jr., I guess, um, as these kind of operatives who are able to do things behind the scenes, who are able to kind of go places and address uh, kind of tackle conflicts in a way that a Superman or a Batman simply can't is a really compelling. I'm thinking of the Task Force X episode of Justice League Unlimited, where like they barely even acknowledged the Suicide Squad and just had a boomerang guy, a Deadshot guy, and a Clock King guy just you know taking out the Justice League Watchtower. Or um, there was a direct-to-DVD movie called like uh, something in Hell or like to Hell and Back or something. That is very much like just kind of a Tarantino movie with DC villains. And it's a level of violence that you can get away with because these are villains. It's a level of cruelty you can get away with because these are villains. It's just in a universe, especially one like the DC universe, where it's kind of known for having these morally pure icons like Wonder Woman and Superman uh, getting to play in the dark side, getting to play with... uh, just the evil and selfishness that a superpowered person can display is fascinating. And it's a world where even the good guys are like not fighting on the side of angels. Half the time they're covering up for something fucked up. The government did. It's like, it's cruel. It's manipulative. It's compelling. And it just so happens to involve a shark man, a boomerang guy and 800 other (laughs) weird villains Usually from Firestorm's roster. I don't know why. I think it's just Firestorm was not popular enough. So Firestorm villains were just constantly introduced and murked on this fucking in this team. I mean, they took time to design them and give them names. And, you know, it is funny when you see uh, I see it all the time, especially I feel like with image comics like uh, Savage Dragon or something like that. I mean, you see these incredibly developed characters it's seemingly at least they have splashy visuals at least you know maybe not a backstory they just they're dead and like within a couple panels you know and that's part of it like or, or they're defeated in a couple panels and i know that's that's all part of it to show they have to be able to show how strong like the hero is and everything so it's nice to give them a second chance it's like a funny kind of farm league for characters in a lot of ways and i think some characters became much stronger because of it. I think Deadshot is a good example of Deadshot was nothing. nothing. Deadshot, like he had just got he had just Deadshot had just gotten a cool redesign in Batman. He had, before he was literally a top hat tuxedo uh gentleman duelist yeah. who like was trying to trick Gotham into having him be the hero instead of Batman. And they brought him back and gave him, instead of like a a gentleman's monocle, they gave him that cool scope. They gave him machine gun arms. 
And it was, yeah, they just threw him into uh, Suicide Squad as like, that's eh, a cool design. Let's, let's, and like nobody, ca- his name's Floyd. Who yeah. gives a shit? He's got a cool mustache. And he's become one of the most like popular and compelling anti heroes in the entire DC camp. Mm-hmm. That's featured, I believe, isn't Deadshot in, uh, uh, whatchamacallit? Um, oh, what's the fighting game? Wow, I just blanked out on it completely. Oh, Injustice. Yeah, he's in Injustice it's, too, I believe. You, that might be, is he in, is that in, is that Deathstroke or Deadshot? I don't that's know, hilarious. They're the same. Who cares? That's another funny <laughs> thing is within the history of Suicide Squad, there's Deathstroke. Deadshot, Bloodsport, so many dumb two-word violence names. Of course, of course. So, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, The Suicide Squad, I guess, oh, by the way, I guess we're done with the gush part. I mean, I don't have a lot to say in terms of the gush for me personally, other than I definitely watched 2016 Suicide Squad, which, honestly, I never watched Batman v Superman. I didn't watch... Uh, I actually still haven't even watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League. How dare you, Holden, after I whined incessantly I know, right? that you watch I've it. Been, I've been very nonplussed by the DC movies, but I had to sit down and watch Suicide Squad because of the shit show that I had read about it being, and just it's so uniquely chaotic and crazy and uh, bungling from the studios, so... Uh, it is interesting how that I was compelled to see it and uh, definitely walked away just being like, that was bullshit, <laughs> but uh, enjoyed aspects of it. I love Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. I loved Birds of Prey. I'm so glad she's brought back for this other Suicide Squad. But that's the other crazy thing is that like, what other situation are we in where they don't even know what to call it? It's not a reboot because they're using some of the same characters, but they're not using other of the same characters. It's not a sequel. It's not a prequel. They're just kind of calling it James Gunn's Suicide Squad, but they brought back Margot Robbie. They brought back, what, Viola Davis uh, for Amanda Waller, and we'll get into the history of that character, but such a just... Everything about the Suicide Squad franchise is bizarre and unique, and uh, that is from the comics into the films, and maybe that is weirdly just... It's its own metaphor for what it is, right? Because the whole team, I love ragtag teams and I love comeback stories and I all that sort of thing. And we have that in spades with the film itself, with James Gunn's story that has nothing to do with the film uh, and his getting ousted from the MCU for like two seconds before they realize like, oh, maybe like we don't just have to immediately destroy people's careers because they said questionable shit on, in a tweet 10 years ago. I digress. The Suicide Squad, an anti-hero team via DC Comics. It first debuted back in 1959. However, the modern version that we are most acquainted with started back in 1987 and consists of incarcerated supervillains who take on high-risk black ops secret missions in exchange for lightened prison sentences. The team is led by Amanda Waller, and to ensure their obedience, they are fitted with explosive devices around their necks to ensure they play by the rules. Uh, and anyone can die. So, uh, as always, when we cover a comic book, I immediately jump onto the internet and find, uh, through several shady sources, a bunch of scans from old comics. And I read uh, the original Brave and the Bold, number 25 story, uh, and it is classic pre-superhero adventure science shenanigans. Yes. Um, it is, uh, let's see, it's from 1959, and it's uh, a group of four adventurers uh, deemed the Suicide Squad. Each of them all uh, survived some kind of tragedy around World War II. 
Uh, Rick Flagg was an ace fighter pilot whose entire squadron was shot down trying to take on a Japanese Pacific fleet. And I believe he's the only, by the way, we should highlight Rick Flagg, too. He's the only character that really survives from this initial incarnation. Yeah. Um, there was uh, Karen, the love interest, who was like a nurse whose ship sank and the entire crew sacrificed themselves to make sure that she got uh, safely onto a raft. Uh, there's two scientist guys. Um Dr. Hugh Evans and Dr. Jess Bright, who uh, were late to a nuclear test that had gone awry. And as their fellow like workers screamed, like, don't come any closer. It's a nuclear hotspot. We're already dead. They all swore that like they would live each day uh, giving their all so that the other sacrifices would not be in vain. Um, Their first adventure makes them fight a giant space Godzilla that can adapt to any form of attack made against it. So they jump into a rocket and launch it into space with the monster along with them. And then they make their way back to Earth. And the thing that struck me was that it was very similar to the Fantastic Four. Ah. In terms of like the adventure science, there's shit about cosmic rays. They're fighting like a big, dumb, early Marvel Jack Kirby style monster. But none of them have powers. None of them have powers. Yeah, and and this is not, I think that's the most interesting thing that you're probably noticing in Jake's description. This is not really a superhero tale or a supervillain tale either. It's not a superhero tale, but this was a very common kind of uh, double-fisted adventure scientist story. Like, uh, you know, this is some Johnny Quest-ass Rusty Venture ass doc savage ass storytelling that was very popular at the time very pulpy very sci-fi with a mix of like big monsters to put on the cover this uh this style of storytelling dc actually had much better success with uh as the challengers of the unknown which was another super science foursome that also didn't have powers but jack kirby worked on them and many people point at them as the influence for the Fantastic Four, that the Fantastic Four's version of super science wouldn't have existed without the challengers of the unknown. And so in the 80s, when a hotshot writer, John Ostrander, who um, studied theology with the intent of being a Catholic priest and got his start writing uh, Christian-friendly comics with him and his friends, uh, when he made his debut at D.C., one of the first things that he was offered, he was like, name your title. We'll do anything, like whatever you want to write. And he said, I want to do The Challengers of the Unknown because that he felt was a very exciting. Uh, he said the title alone is such a compelling title for a comic book. And the, unfortunately, The Challengers of the Unknown had already been greenlit for a reboot at DC. And so the editors were like, well, we can't give you Challenge of the Unknown, but we did a similar thing in the 50s. It's basically the same thing. How about Suicide Squad? Uh, John Ostrander said, my first reaction was Suicide Squad. What a stupid name for a book. Who would knowingly belong <laughs> to something that called itself Suicide Squad? But in the attempt to answer that question, he thought maybe people who didn't have a choice. Well, who doesn't have a choice? Hmm, Prisoners. Prisoners don't have a choice. Okay, and that means in the DC universe that we're talking about supervillains. And I like villains. I always have. And that's when the pieces really started to come together. Just pontificating on what could a modern-day version of a team named Suicide Squad be. And, of course, since uh, you know those fit 1950s days, the superhero thing became way more popularized. I will also say a couple more things about Ostrander before he became a 
a writer for DC. He uh, ended up going to Chicago to work as an actor and a playwright for a little while. So he was always doing a bit of writing. And in the theater company he was in, there was a guy named Mike Gold who was just happening to launch his own comics imprint and gave him his initial gigs, which is what got the attention of DC. Ostrander did a sci-fi series called Grimjack, and that is what caught the eye of editor Bob Greenberger over at DC, who asked Ostrander if he'd like to do a series for them, and that is how we got to him pitching on Challengers of the Unknown. I can't believe he just jumped over the uh, for comedy nerds out there. One of his co-writers on Grimjack was... Uh, Improv super guru Del Close. Nice. <laughs> Fucking Mr. Maud himself. So I wonder if he was, yeah, maybe doing Second City specifically then uh, throughout his time in Chicago. That would make a lot of sense. So, yeah, the pieces start coming together. We'll do a bunch of espionage stories centered around a team working for the U.S. government against their will. Ostrander and his friend Mike Gold. Mike Gold also got a job over at D.C. as an editor. Uh, they started working on the concept after that, largely basing it off of the 1967 film, The Dirty Dozen, which is a fucking awesome movie. Definitely check it out. It is a war film about a selection of the Army's worst prisoners who were turned into commandos and sent on a suicide mission in World War II. Uh, but in order to create the ragtag team, they needed a team leader. And that is where the creation of the phenomenal character, I think one of the best things to come out of this whole Suicide Squad thing is Amanda Waller, especially for the time in comics that this character was created. Ostrander needed an operative that would keep these prisoners in line. Ostrander said, to start off, I wanted someone who was African-American because at the time, there weren't as many African-American characters in comics. And I wanted the character to be female because we didn't have very many female characters either. Ones who were very young and could basically kick ass. Uh, and I thought she should be a little bit older because I wanted her to have a life story, something that fed into who she was. So he came up with the name Amanda Waller. That's actually what led him to the nickname The Wall, and he had that nickname in mind when the character was designed. Ostrander said, if Amanda Waller's nickname was The Wall, she had to look a little bit like a wall. She had to look formidable. By not giving her Wonder Woman's muscles and instead some heft, it sort of suggested a power in her. And he relished in the fact that his team leader was an older, overweight black woman, something you never saw in comics in those days. I love this quote from Ostrander. With her very existence and presence, she made all the points that I wanted her to make which I think is really cool. It's it's honestly a really clever thing because, I mean, when you think about, again, we're subvert, this is a time where we're like subverting our ideas of espionage and uh, intelligence and kind of spy stuff. And when you get to the echelons of government, they look less like sexy James Bond, like femme fatales and more like the lady behind the counter at the DMV who is just has a fucking job to do yeah. and is not taking anybody's shit. Yeah. I love uh, it. There's an incredibly uh, famous cover of the Suicide Squad number 10 from February 1988, where Amanda Waller is staring, is her finger is on Batman's chest, and she is defiant. She is prodding him, and Batman looks paralyzed in fear because Amanda Waller is not impressed by the little pointy ears. Another unique and interesting thing about Waller is her backstory. Ostrander looked to the Cabrini Greenhousing Project. You may recognize that name from the horror film Candyman. It is a massive 
housing project in Chicago. Of course, I already mentioned that he was living there. His editor as well, Mike Gold. Mike Gold often visited the Cabrini Green housing projects. Uh, Gold said, I did some drug education work there. I was involved in some protests there. We were involved in a couple of projects about what was at the time an issue, asking, are these housing projects doing more harm than good? And use that personal experience as a basis for Waller's backstory and a little bit of a building block for how she is, how tough she is. And I love that it's based on a real thing a place you could actually go to that has a very strong history and is very is has been in its past uh, uh, a dangerous volatile place in our real world I think that just she's so grounded in these ways like there's no radiation laser or anything like that she's just a tough woman with a tough fucking past and I love that about that character Justin and so good thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom rack store Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. She is prone to double crossing, prone to withholding information. She is a just one of the things that makes a good Amanda Waller story is she does not have like plot dumbness. If there is a way for her character to succeed or survive, she will execute it with full intelligence. And that makes her way more dangerous than a million mustache twirling villains or uh, leotard clad heroes. It's genuinely amazing. Uh, it's the first issue where the new, the original, I can't. I, can't, I know. The Suicide Squad. The yeah. Suicide Squad that we're talking about, not the old 50 scientists. Yeah. Uh, is a mini series called Legends, which was written by John Ostrander with art by uh uh, John Byrne, uh, and inked by Carl Kessel, who brought them back in the 90s. Uh, and it involved Darkseid kind of doing a, I, I don't know how else to say it, a, a PR attack on the Earth's superheroes. And it like literally just, he unleashes a couple of supervillains, tricks a few of our heroes into thinking that they like hurt innocent people and gets the entire world to hate superheroes. And so as such, in panel, Ronald Reagan uh, basically uh, says send in Task Force X and they have a very uh, pretty, I, I, I guess the original uh, lineup of Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, Enchantress, Bronze Tiger, who was more of like, he was kind of a good guy, Rick Flagg Jr., uh, Blockbuster, and I can't remember if there was anyone else, but they fight a big spooky fire monster. Uh, one of them dies. And uh, another weird noteworthy early thing is that we didn't have nanotechnology fever yet. So the bombs were just uh, bracelets that were put on their wrists and would blow their hands off and maybe kill them if they disobeyed. But the chip in the neck thing hadn't happened. Gotcha. Yet. Gotcha. So this is this was a tough one for me. Um, I didn't I could not read through four decades of comic book stories. Uh, it's like they were invented. They were. Kind of a uh, cult hit in yeah. the 80s. 
yada, 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 the movie. The Legends miniseries in 1986 uh, essentially was popular enough for them to get their actual own titled series. They ends up uh, doing, uh, this was first penciled by Luke McDonald. The first series ran for 66 issues. It was canceled in 1992. And during this darker, grittier time in comics, Suicide Squad was a fun corner as the stories were centered around the bad guys and killing off folks was par for the course. And in comics, we really were getting to that era of gritty everything needed to be gritty and ma- macho and extreme so, and that was a lot harder to do when you know you couldn't the hero couldn't die and yet still had to play by certain rules certain villains couldn't die either you know and so this is a really fun easy way for them to just be violent and ridiculous the series is reprised in 2001 they get a new team leader sergeant frank rock sergeant frank rock <laughs> um he's rock hard and you know he's Stay away from him when he's in that state because he'll really come after you in a weird way in that way. Don't put your daughter near him. He will. (laughs) He's very hard is his whole deal. And generally, um, there was a new roster of villains as well. Many of them died. It was a 12-issue run and, again, put away. Uh, A third volume, though, did have John Ostrander returning. Uh, it ran for just eight issues, and in this one, Rick Flag Jr. Uh, returns to form a news squad in order to attack a corporation that developed a big old mean bioweapon. Uh, yeah, so then we get to Suicide Squad Volume 4 and the Amanda Waller revamp. We first see Amanda Waller represented in film in 2011's disastrous Green Lantern, helmed by Ryan Reynolds. Now, I have refused to see this film, Jake. You've seen it arguably too many times for a human being to endure. I've only seen it once and it was still too many. There you go. I, deep down, I would love to like actually get into the story of how it went so wrong. But one of but. the wrong things looking back is like we just talked about how amazing the character of Amanda Waller is. And uh, Waller is played by Angela Bassett, who's a phenomenal actor by in her own right. But at the same time... The physical type in no way resembles that character. And I think um, by taking away even just the physical type, you take away some of the meat of what that, pun intended, of what that character was really all about. You know, I think the stature says a lot about, about, and also just the defiance of the character type. And uh, it's great to have a black woman up there as a leader, but it's still, I think she, it doesn't scream the wall to me. This was, this was part of the New 52 initiative, which was a big 2000s push by DC to kind of shake things up and update all these characters. Uh, ostensibly, I, in my belief, for mm-hmm. the movies. Yes. For, to kind of like, in response to the success of Iron Man and how the Marvel Cinematic Universe was shaping up, Warner Brothers kind of knew that a lot of these legacy characters even, you know, have mutated and kind of warped in a post-crisis kind of way, even though crisis was in the 80s an attempt to like streamline everything and make things more understandable. Um, A lot of things had kind of gotten away from each other and they wanted all it's 52 was this weekly comic release with a ton of different writers. I think Grant Morrison was involved. Um, And among the updates was the new Suicide Squad with sexy, younger Amanda Waller and a Harley Quinn-based Suicide Squad. Yes. Because Harley Quinn definitely was ready for primetime by this point. She was an asset. She was, uh, thanks to the cartoon, she was a well-known character with her own kind of fan base. And the only thing was she needed an identity outside of the Joker 
at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we definitely talked about this, by the way, in our Harley Quinn uh, episode. You can check that out for more details on that. But this Suicide Squad run is written by Adam Glass, and it's penciled by Federico Dalocho and uh, Ransom Getty. This is weird bustier uh, uh, Harley Quinn, if you remember that, with yes. like, the different colored ponytails. Yeah, that yeah. Was, that was this era. Apparently, Dalocho was given a specific note for the character Amanda Waller to, quote, show her as the opposite of the Amanda from the old comic, Thin and Young. And so, of course, that eye-rolly note um, is how we get to just a completely against type, completely against the original inception of the character. Uh, and fans did not love this new take of that character. However, the series did a good job of showcasing Harley Quinn and kind of brought some new thing. I mean, some freshness to the concept as, as of course, yes, this way to set up a Suicide Squad film. And so here we get to this, uh, this fucking shit show to, for lack of a better term, Jake, uh, Man, what can you say before we get into the dirty details? What can you say about the Suicide Squad film? I I will ad- I you know what? I'm just going to admit. Yes, we did the Bronze Age dirty and I'm sorry, but we got, you know, we got to do an episode every week. There's just only so many hours in the day. <laughs> fight me in real life. Find me in real life and physically fight me be like, "Hey, hey, you didn't give the Bronze Age stories of Suicide Squad their due." And I'll be like, "I understand. I am prepared for combat." Like that's fine. That's the deal. I think the main thing to take away from Bronze Age from what it seems is they just they had a fun time cutting it up and just being <laughs> being flagrant and being kind of uh, over the top and violent and dealing with like Drug cartels and stuff like that. I mean, literally just think anything else like Daredevil during that era, you know. They were just constantly fighting uh, terrorists and the Russian mob. Yeah. And also Punch and Julie are there. Julie spelled like a jewel because <laughs> she has a weird jewel that she uses to shoot beams out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am definitely the, the Marvel for me is definitely the 2016 Suicide Squad written and directed by David Ayer. He directed the Fast and the Furious and Training Day. Not I mean, maybe I'm mistaken, but it didn't seem like a lot since those movies which both came out in the same year a long time ago well he kind of riffed on training day for a while like i had a roommate who was super into david ayer movies because they have this kind of weird edge this kind of like i mean i'm talking harsh times and street kings and end of watch all these movies are basically just la cops are fucked up (laughs) which is a lot of and a lot of what training day was too but there's like a they have a certain like perspective. They have a certain visual like uh, signature. Like he's not a bad filmmaker. Not and at all. Fury had just come out and people loved Fury. Yeah. Clearly had a relationship with Will Smith uh, uh, as well through this and uh, on to what's the name of the Netflix, the Netflix dark gritty superhero show? Bright. Bright. You're talking about Bright. People enjoy that, I believe. Or Cop. What if cops were orcs? <laughs> Bright is going to answer that for you. But yeah, you've got Will Smith as Deadshot. Jared Leto as the Joker. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Joel Kinnaman as Red Flag. Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. Jai Courtney for uh, J- Captain Boomerang. Jay Hernandez as El Diablo. Cara Delevingne as Enchantress. And uh, Adewale um, Akinuye Agbaje. Agbaje. I'm sorry. Now, I'm sorry (laughs) in this moment and forevermore for butchering that. As Killer Croc, don't worry, I will have to say his name again very soon. Adam Beach as Slipknot, not the band, the dude. And Karen uh, Fukuhara as Katana. And so, yeah, I think 
from the get-go, it seemed like this is a shit show. There's a uh, famous Hollywood Reporter article that kind of dumped a lot of this knowledge called Suicide Squad, Secret Drama, yes. Rush Production, Competing Cuts, and High Anxiety. And a uh, there was there's a it's rife with great quotes, but one of them uh, is about how, why they chose seemingly uh, a weird match for what the studio wanted supposedly. Uh, in Ayer, Warner Brothers enlisted a director who had never made a giant effects-packed action movie. Hiring filmmakers who lack such experience is the trend, and it's often out of necessity. There are a lot of people who don't want to direct those movies, and it's a huge problem, says one producer with franchise experience. A lot of the proven guys are back-to-back with this stuff, or they want to develop it for five years, but there's a machine that has to be fed. There's economics. And uh, we run into this a lot of times with like failed franchise movies uh-huh. where uh, like Fan Four Stick famously was a giant disaster because they went with a kind of up and coming director who never had done a project this big, who was butting up against studio heads. But then there's, you know, all the success stories from that situation. I mean, even uh, Taika Waititi for Thor Ragnarok and... Uh, one could even argue that first Iron Man, the way it was put together and made. Oh, yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. the trend, the trend, it's fun. It's funny how much we talk, glorify the trend of studios grabbing uh, semi-proven indie directors, but putting them for the first time in these massive roles. But yeah, for every Thor Ragnarok, there's probably a couple suicide squads, right? And this yeah. was definitely, definitely uh, a big old suicide squad. This was Suicide <laughs> Squad, the film production. Just everything died left and right. No one's, no one was safe. The producers, the director, the writer. The <laughs> at this point, we're we're going to talk about a point where the DC universe kind of panicked because they were still operating on the assumption that, like, no, 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 Batman, uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies made buku bucks. Yeah. They made all the money, and Marvel's taking up all the snarky wise ass points. Yeah. So we're just going to be the dour superhero movies. We're going to be the uh, more grizzled, more brooding superhero movies. And so Ayer is actually kind of a great choice if that's what you want. If that's what you want. But you, what you don't want, and I haven't seen this with other superhero film productions, apparently by the time they signed him on, there was no actual script and there was already a release date scheduled for the project, which sounds bat shit to me so he had exactly six weeks to write this screenplay and still be on schedule that just start you start with a in a disposition Mm -hmm. right of of having to rush a script out to get the thing shot and apparent apparently also um so then they cast the thing and from the get-go the rehearsal process and everything is just so weird i mean but this is the thing. This I feel like there's multiple moving uh, spinning plates that are covered in piles of shit here. So there's <laughs> right. So let's try to unpack that because I'm about to get into the troubling rehearsal process, which I feel like is its own what the fuck, right? But is this? I guess this is all. Is this all just because of Christopher Nolan's Batman? Yes. And Heath Ledger playing Joker. Yes. Is this all just the shit show end? result of people trying to recreate 
a very unrecreatable thing that even Christopher Nolan himself was unable to recreate after the passing of Heath Ledger with uh, the th- his third Batman movie because uh, yeah, t- for uh, uh, t- uh, Tom Hardy's Bane is so oh, fucking hey. iconic that oh, that wow. voice will live on. Hey, Jake, it's very nice to meet you. I'm Bane. It would be very painful. <laughs> oh wow, you're you. way better at it. You're way better at it, man. That's this movie needed. Fucking Bane, bro. You merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it. I molded personally by it. prefer the Batman and Robin version of Bane, but <laughs> just a big balloon man yeah. going. Grr, 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 grr. <laughs> You know, I prefer the nipple costume Batman too, but I digress. So yeah, I, all this setup of of the trying to recre- recapture the magic of the Heath Ledger Joker and the Christopher Nolan Batman, uh, we're setting that up because man, this rehearsal process just seemed really. Uh, inappropriate, especially for a franchise superhero film, much less even like an indie art film or whatever. Um, it, it almost gives me Blair Witch vibes, right? How they tortured those cast members. So Air wanted them to tap into their dark sides and their twisted sides and really like kind of method it up. He opened the doors for apparently the monster that Jared Leto would become on this uh, during this production. Actor Adam Beach said that he kept, quote, a kind of therapist, end quote, on set uh, and also said, quote, if your character is tormented, he wants you to torment yourself. He wants the real thing. And I think we all started, this is also now superhero movies are like massive fair. So we're like hearing little tidbits about this process too. And cut, right, Jake, do you remember the news cycle for this uh, production? It was just I so mean, what the fuck. It was. It all started when the uh, prom, first promo image of Jared Leto's Joker was released, and he had that yes. fucking crazy damage tattoo. He looked like a mumble rapper. He looked like Lil Peep. He looked like a uh, like emo he, mumble he, he, rapper. I mean, and that's honestly, I'm gonna say it. That's a fine interpretation. Sure, there was, uh, you know, what would a like modern, like what is the modern uh, personification of chaos? What is the modern personification of like, I am like nothing matters. Like I might as well be a clown Yeah. Uh, in a dark and gritty world, especially one based in uh, kind of LA, modern LA crime stories that Ayer was well-versed with. It is a fine creative choice. And I think everyone I think it was the everyone so loved Heath Ledger's portrayal yeah. that nothing could stand up next to it. Yeah, but also like I mean just the whole idea that we needed another hot Joker take. And this is again before Joker got his own fucking movie uh not too long after that. I was already good on hot Joker takes for a minute and yet we're getting another one it feels like right after we just got this really interesting one, right? It just felt repetitive mm-hmm. in a in a weird way artistically, right? Yeah. To have you be like Uber Method as the Joker, and um, it's like a really crazy design take, you know? I will say it is hilarious uh, because the tie-in album to this movie, Suicide Squad, the album which had like every Warner Brothers artist on it, like all just pushing the flesh as hard as they can. Yeah. There's a song that came off the album oh, called God. Purple Lamborghini oh, God. starring Skrillex and Rick Ross <laughs> starring. The song was starring. performed by Skrillex and Rick Ross. And it Rick's has Ross. Jared Leto as the Joker in like all these, like he's in a hot tub. He's on so a speedboat. It's, I'm sorry. Can you play a couple of bars of Purple Lamborghini? I just think it's hilarious. Was not religious. The revolution's born. You want to know my name to go and tell us all. 
You wanna know my gang, suicide squad Pistol on my waist, I might make a mistake Headshot, headshot, oh my god, am I crazy? Drugs every corner, this is Gotham City Killer crop, can't even kidnap you to cut out your kidney Ain't no mercy, got that purple Lamborghini lurking Rosé Oh my god, man. It was of the era, Holden. So this, of course, led to stuff like Jared Leto doing a bunch of eye-rolly, at-best shit during the production, such as and the rehearsal process, such as gifting Margot Robbie a dead rat, uh, gifting the whole cast a dead pig. Uh, Adewel uh, Akinoye Agbaje was gifted gifted a uh, sticky bunch of sticky Playboy magazine. I'm going to assume it had comes on it. And wasn't just like glue. I think I don't think he. Del- I think it is it, the 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 lens of truth has since been lowered, and it was a fake rat. It was fake human jism, okay. and the rest. Okay, so it wasn't real used condoms. He also gave everybody anal beads, and I mean, this is still arrestable shit in any other workplace. <laughs> this is like so inappropriate. Jared Leto said, "I did a lot. I I did a lot of things to create a dynamic, to create an element of surprise, a spontaneity, and to really break down any kind of walls that may be there. The Joker is somebody who doesn't really respect things like personal space or boundaries. Man, I would love to work with someone who was just trying to fully commit to that on a movie set. <laughs> and uh, boy, I bet it was fun also to be like, hey, Jared, do you want any more? Uh, do you want any more fruit? Because uh, we've got some more fruit over crafts." Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Mr. Joker, sir. Um, <laughs> do you want anything else from craft service? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think the method thing is is so silly to me as a person who studied it, but maybe I'm resentful of it because I was kicked out of acting school. <laughs> so it could be that as well. But I just, I was fascinated, Jake, back when this was a thing in 2016 and still today am fascinated by the whole production process of this movie. It just sounds so over the top, including um, rehearsals where Air had everyone doing essentially group therapy sessions, as well as this, according to, to Air. I also had them fight. I had them fight each other. You learn a lot about who a person really is when you punch them in the face. It get rid. It gets rid of a lot of the actor stuff. Do you have we shed a light on that at all? Was it kind of like kind of fake wrestling ish sort of fighting? I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's... right? How great! I mean, I'd be furious to be honest. Oh, also, just because maybe I have a closer connection to this, Jake, because of acting school. But like the the part where all these people are in a room. And they're all super villains with names like Deadshot and Harley Quinn, but they're all sitting and Slipknot. Don't forget Slipknot. They're all sitting in this room, taking themselves. Oh my god, so seriously. Marco Robbie freezing her ass off in those booty shorts yeah. and a daddy's little monster Ugh. crop top. Yeah, oh yeah, the way that they treat. Her Harley Quinn even is just like so eye rolling. I mean, I I thought it was sexist, but then tune into next Halloween. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I own booty shorts and a (laughs) t-shirt. It's just so sexy. Actors taking themselves way too seriously on a project that is honestly really ridiculous. It's the Suicide Squad. I mean, come on. You say that now, Holden, but you will regret your words and deeds once the air cut (laughs) is released and you realize this was in fact an emotional journey to the heart of darkness through which all of us will leave affected. Words and deeds 
Sir, I object to your words and deeds. I love how that's just been the running thing. Thank you, Hideo Kojima, for giving us that meme. I do regret my words and deeds. Uh, but wait, there's more. Cara Delevingne was encouraged by Air to walk into the woods and strip naked during a full moon, which she did, apparently. Uh, Jai Courtney ate mushrooms and put out lit cigarettes on his arm during a Skype call with David Ayer. I mean, that sounds very illegal to me. Uh, and uh, and also um, uh, Adewale, Adewale? Adewale King Croc. Uh, while getting makeup done, he would listen to tapes of a famous real-life killer from Japan known for killing and eating a Dutch woman. Uh, that is a famous case. I believe they talked about it on last podcast on the left. Yeah, he would just sit there and listen to a murderer talk about the thrill of killing. It just to be a character named Killer Croc, guys, it's not that hard. Just put the makeup on and go, ah! <laughs> the okay, end well, killer you think that this is too far to go for uh, a major studio superhero movie. But I think the tone of the film and the power of the film really is communicated when you listen to the breakout single from Suicide Squad, the album, Sucker for Pain, uh, featuring Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, Imagine Dragons, Logic, Ty Dolla Sign, and X Ambassadors. April, hit it! Play a little bit of that. <laughs> I torture you, take my hand through the flame. I torture you. I'm a slave to I'm your games. I wanna chain you up. I wanna tie you down. I'm just a sucker yep, for pain. Man, Imagine Dragons really gets how <laughs> fucked up it is out in these streets. If, if the rehearsal process wasn't any indication, definitely the bungling of the post-production process uh, sounds so funny. I mean, I'm just going to give you a sneak peek because I think it's so hilarious. They took the movie away from David Ayer. I th- so the the instigate the instigating incident was uh, that Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice sucked ass, which was an incredibly <laughs> expensive movie. Super was sucked. ripped to shreds yes. by critics, and the despite very good initial opening numbers, uh, had no legs to use movie box office. You know, like it just kind of came and went. Uh, it this is terrifying. This movie was considered a a failure so like extravagant that it put the fear of God in Warner Brothers. It made eight hundred seventy three million dollars. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? (laughs) Yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. I mean, it did so badly that the the Suicide Squad was taken away from the director and given to a trailer making company. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. Okay, so so a few things happen. Uh, while Batman v Superman was a disaster 
for costing a gajillion dollars and only making a babillion dollars. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Fox had done incredibly well with Deadpool, which cost like just a few, you know, cost $30 million and made $782 million. Well, Jake, then it's really easy. Just turn this other movie that was supposed to be dark and gritty into Deadpool, Jake. I mean, come on, a million dollars should fix that problem, right? Well, they can't turn it into Deadpool, but uh, what's another movie (laughs) that did really well and had a bunch of ragtag little known characters kind of out of nowhere become lovable scams? Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And so Warner Brothers hires Trailer Park, a trailer production company, to uh, put out the first trailer for Suicide Squad, and it has a fun take on Bohemian Rhapsody, and it showcases all of our characters in fun, jaunty, quick smash close-ups, and really kind of lays out uh, this jaunty, character-driven romp caper that I remember watching and completely forgetting that it was a David Ayer movie going like, yeah, this looks like fun. This looks great. I can't wait for Suicide right. Squad. I, this is exactly what I want. Agreed. This looks like a great time at the theater. That is essentially what got uh, Warner Brothers pitted against David Ayer and his cut. An insider source uh, said this to Hollywood Reporter. If there are multiple opinions that aren't in sync, you go down multiple tracks, two tracks at least. That was the case here for a period of time. Always trying to get to a place where you have a consensus. There was even a point in 2016 during the post-production that David Ayer dropped his agent at CA and ended up going to William Morris for like a day and then the old agent got him back and that might not seem like much but it definitely just goes to show that there were issues with this production Uh, you don't just drop your agent during a post-production of a massive film unless there's just so many problems going on that you're freaking out and reports are coming in David Ayer's like flipping out having a breakdown and this leads to reshoots costing up to $22 million. There were multiple editors brought in to, quote, fix this thing. The first 40 minutes of the film were completely cut. Some of it was used in flashbacks throughout the movie. The first 40 minutes of this movie is such a fucking whiplash where, like, there's fun graphics and, like, close-ups of the ki- Like, they do little, like, on-screen graphics. Like, it was, like, an NFL game of the characters doing, like, hiya, like it's so to the weird. point where like I don't even think like I swear to God half of them are just like I don't think they got Will Smith to be Deadshot in that in the like fun graphic shots right um, it's yeah they're like blasting out like so many classic rock songs at you every scene get is like pumped through with some nostalgia bait track that is totally barely consistent with what's happening it feels so manufactured it feels so weird. Um, it was they got trailer the the trailer park company to edit the entire movie like that was a, supposedly Warner Brothers did test screenings where they would show the air cut and the trailer park cut and we're like well gosh when you know it these teenagers in Northern California like the fun version better so I guess we got to go with that oh gee golly and the end result is just this weird confused movie about. Cara Delevingne as June Moon and her weird brother and all this just not I don't know it's just it just slops by the way the the pop songs were definitely like added after major parts of the score uh, were replaced with pop songs to try to like 
just magically fix it with music. Uh, the the ton of Joker stuff was cut in the third act, which apparently pissed off Jared Leto to no end, which is hilarious because he like works so hard to like give people dead fake rats. <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole thing. Uh, and uh, the craziest part to me, I don't know how this could ever happen. How any executive would think this was a smart idea is just that they took Final Cut away from David Ayer and gave it completely to that tr- movie trailer company called uh, what was the name of them? Like, trailer trailer Park. Park. They were. It, could you imagine your movie, your blood and guts poured into a movie? And it's taken from you and given to a company called Trailer Park because all they actually do is make movie trailers and not movies. I mean, it's so fucking crazy to me. Uh, And so, yeah, of course, since the very successful Zack Snyder's Justice League recut back in 2020, there has been a push to hashtag release the air cut for Suicide Squad as well. Uh, And Ayer said that there is a director's cut and that he has been trying to get out there. I mean, what do you think about it all, Jake? Do you th- so you really think that um, an air director's cut could prove to be something worth its salt? Or I mean, for me, it's like this movie only exists as this example of Hollywood fuck ups in the movie industry, and like I'm very ready to just immediately be like James Gunn Suicide Squad. That's my Suicide Squad. Essentially, I mean, it's just hilarious. In 2020, a Twitter fan asked him, like, hey, what was the toughest scene to leave on the cutting room floor? And Ayer responded, the first 40 minutes. <laughs> like, it's it's the movie, like, the movie itself it would have been, I honestly believe it would have been fine. It would have been its own thing, its own weird tonal interpretation of the Suicide Squad. Even with all the Joker cringe or whatever you want, it would have been dark. It would have been twisted. But as kind of proven by the Snyder Cut, a consistent vision is way, way more compelling than this compromised, forced fun that we ended up with. And I'd be curious to see. And I mean, I am also glad that DC is starting to understand that they don't necessarily need to live like their brand doesn't need to be dark and gritty per se. Uh, especially with films like Shazam, and especially with this film coming out come uh, via James Gunn. That's right, Suicide Squad 2021, James Gunn Suicide Squad, whatever you want to call it. Uh, James Gunn already also has a fascinating story that is a great example of like weird Hollywood bullshit over the past few years. Of course, James Gunn, uh, uh, there was a sequel in the works, we should say, before we James Gunn enters... Uh, David Ayer was going to be directing. The movie did pretty well financially, which is uh, always what blows me away with these stories. Like, how? It was such a shit show. But, uh, yeah, Warner Brothers started looking for a new director after, you know, all the reports came out of how much of a shit show this all was and uh, everything. What's hilarious was the top of the list for the new- next director, Jake, you'll love this, Mel Gibson. Famous, uh, like <laughs> famous drunken anti-Semite Mel Gibson. <laughs> yes, exactly. You said it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, th- but that of course fell through. All through 2017 and into 2018, there is just a uh, revolving door of would-be directors and writers attached to the project that come and go constantly as production things get pushed back and moved around. During this time, though, we do get Birds of Prey starring Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, which, again, I will say I really enjoyed and very much established her character as a in a more interesting light, I think, than Suicide Squad gave us. Finally, in late 2018... James Gunn is hired to write and direct the next movie, but this is all because of his weird 
this brief is exit from the Walt Disney Company. That, so this is another example of just the weirdness of Hollywood, especially during this time period. So Suicide Squad is basically done. Uh, they pass on David Ayer's Bright. It gets picked up by Netflix. It's like one of the most successful Netflix movies of all time, which is weird. Yeah, yeah. I've heard Bright's is Bright's really cool. People like it. But they burn that bridge. They try and get a Gotham City Sirens thing off the, ra- off the ground. That project eventually becomes Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey also doesn't set the world on fire. But then weird happenstance happens because Roseanne got canceled. <laughs> it's We were in the throes of Trump fever. Rose- famous uh, loud person Roseanne was loud about stuff. And everyone was like, boo, Roseanne. And she, her sitcom became not her sitcom anymore. I was on medication. I couldn't help it. So obviously, because everything in our entire existence is now a forever mind war between political temperaments, conservative commentators, including uh, editors at uh, Ben Shapiro's The Daily Wire, Daily Caller, Daily Wire, whatever, um, and uh, 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 and famous uh, weird internet gross person Mike Cernovich just like start looking for outspoken liberals who have said fucked up shit on Twitter and they land on fucking Zach Gunn, um, James Gunn. I don't know why I said Zach Gunn. Because you're still trying to get that Snyder cut. You're trying to get another version yeah. of it. <laughs> James Gunn famously got his start with Tromeo and Juliet, yeah. was a part of Lloyd Kaufman's very raunchy, very un-PC world for a very long time. Check out our Trump episode for more on that. So naturally, around 2008 to 2011, before he was a Disney uh, employee, he had some jokes about uh, boy love and butt stuff and consent oopsies, as was the style. I don't think any Gen Xer has like has made a like has a hundred percent clean record, especially a raunchy comedy yeah. Gen Xer. Yeah, like of course, bro. I am shocked, shocked that the director of Slither was <laughs> uh, was had, had a sixth sense of humor. And in the moment, I, I even remember being like, "This is fucking bullshit." I totally get why certain people need to be called out and removed. I mean, God, this is giving flashbacks, though, of just everything going on at that time. How, yeah, the far right was just using uh, liberals' own, like, the liberals' own stances on things to, like, cancel their own people, and it was so obvious what was happening. And- I, you know what? I'll, I'll just go out and say, if you are a person and, like, joking about these things is a line you will not cross and you will not, like, and any path, like, if you truly, deep in your heart, believe that these subjects are so serious that you personally will not financially support people that don't uh, take these things as seriously as you. That is a fine personal decision for you to make. But like in this case, it was so clearly yeah. a cynical yeah. attempt to just fuck with people. Yeah, it was so obvious and it was so ridiculous. And he immediately took uh, responsibility and apologized. But yes, Walt Disney still Dropped him from the Guardians franchise. Perfect timing for Warner Brothers, who originally were hoping that Suicide Squad would have that vibe. Obviously, they tried to force it to have that vibe. So, yes, they immediately jump in and say, hey, we don't give a fuck what you said on Twitter a decade ago. Come work for us. (laughs) It's Okay, so the shit breaks out. Uh, You know, Gunn calls Kevin uh, Feige and is like, uh, hey, is this a big deal? And even... 
one of the most powerful men in Hollywood is like, I don't know. I don't know. I uh, Yeah. Disney <laughs> releases a statement. Uh, Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn says the offensive attitudes and statements discovered on James Twitter feed are indefensible and inconsistent with our studio's values. Uh. And we have severed our business relationship with him. Um, like that's on Friday. Within three days, Warner Brothers is like, hey, <laughs> <Yeah>. doc. <laughs> Hey, Doug, I hear you got an opening in your schedule. We are desperate. Uh, Do you want to do a Superman movie? Uh Uh-huh. And Gunn's like, honestly, that seems like a lot of work. I don't want to do a Superman movie. That's too much pressure. And they were like, well, what do you want to do? And he was like, well, if you back me into a corner, I'd love to do Suicide Squad. Because it's all the things that we've talked about. Yeah. The ability to make use of weird ass characters, the ability to kill them off or reinterpret them or have them do fucked up things. It's basically a get out of censorship free card. Yeah, yeah. It also allowed him, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, because they are kind of similar. I think we can definitely say that. Uh, in, in concept, but what, what he was drawn to for Suicide Squad 2 was that any of them could actually secretly be evil or working against the team, mm-hmm. whereas like Guardians, they all had to be good guys, essentially, working together. Uh, misfits, yes, but all good guys, whereas he liked the idea that he could work with characters that would maybe fuck each other over and are just inherently shitty, you know? And for the icing on the cake, he was like, can I get an R rating? And Warner Brothers was like, Yes, you can, Mr. A Billion Dollars at the Box Office Guarantee. Do you want cocaine? We'll give you a pound of it. I don't care. Do you want, here, my secretary, you want, you know what I mean? Yeah, just whatever you want, buddy, please fix our entire universe, our entire cinematic universe. And then three days after that, Disney's like, uh, never mind. Whoops. Whoops, we got tricked by a cynical culture war bullshit play. Whoops, sorry, please make a big money movie for us, please. Thank you. So it kind of worked out perfectly for him. He ended up getting just another gig out of it because he still got to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And in fact, if you're a Guardians fan, you should be pissed off even more so at Disney because it delayed Guardians. They then had to be like, okay, fine. We'll let you make Suicide Squad before you come back for Guardians 3 because of our massive fuck up. I love it. At least that outcome happened because that really bummed me out. Uh, when that happened to James Gunn, I felt like a line was being drawn in the sand and that was a moment. I think it's laughable now when people freak out and comedians go on podcasts and talk for hours and hours on end about cancel culture. I think it's fucking ridiculous, but I, do, I at that moment, I was like, oh, we actually are kind of fucked if people are going to get, you know, James Gunn and people like that are going to get taken down, you know, to see a ploy that wholly cynical yeah. succeed, even for a week was kind of disheartening, yeah. but it is very, uh, vindicating to see it plan go out the way it did. Uh, Kevin Feige was informed about his plans to make a suicide squad movie. His only reaction quote, please, please make a good movie. Just Make a great movie. (laughs) Also, the one thing the studio did request, even though they did really give him carte blanche besides this, was they were hoping he would bring Margot Robbie back as Harley Quinn because they did really feel the franchise was there for her. And I absolutely agree. I think she's like made for that character. I think she's making a big case to be always the iconic actor to play that character for many years to come. I loved her again. I've said it a couple times. Loved her in Birds of Prey. Uh, They also brought back Viola Davis, 
uh, for Amanda Waller, uh, Joel Kinnaman, who played Rick Flagg. And that is why I was saying before, it's just such a bizarre thing. Like, some people were brought back. I think the one thing that they that James Gunn has said is it won't contradict the first movie. But I also love that he was like, and this makes so much sense more than anything else you want to say about Jared Leto's take on the Joker uh, and that 2016 Suicide Squad take on the Joker. I do agree. Uh, I don't have the exact quote, but James Gunn's like, I don't see the Joker as a part of this. No. Like Amanda Waller would not hire the Joker or like take the Joker on as a part of the Suicide Squad. It just actually makes no sense, you know? And and I and I agree. Or even if you don't have an idea, like, like I feel like Ayers, it was a swing and a miss for a lot of people, but at least they, they were doing something with the character that was like, worth trying. I'm yeah, going to go yeah. out on that limb. <laughs> uh, more behind the scenes stuff. Uh, they couldn't get Will Smith back. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because it was going to be an R-rated movie. Who knows? Uh, but he had sought out Idris Elba to take on the role of uh, Deadshot. And then after some talks with Warner Brothers where they were like, well, we don't want to like close off the chance of Will Smith ever coming back. They changed the role to a similar DC gun guy blood sport. And that's who Idris Elba plays in the movie. John Cena plays very weird character, uh, Peacemaker, who Cena describes as a douchey Captain America. Uh, Peter Capaldi as the thinker, who was a regular in the original Bronze Age Suicide Squad runs. Pete Davidson as Blackguard, another shooty guy. Uh, they bring in Polka Dot Man, yeah. which is a that is an insane poll. You could like what I like about it is that that Gunn said he took a lot of notes from John Ostrander's 1980s comic run as it was about quote a bunch of loser B grade supervillains, and I think that is the important thing to remember. Like it's not about Joker and, and A list villains like that. Harley Quinn, yes, that's maybe the one exception, but it is about it's like the bad news bears meets the DC universe, right? And I'm fucking here for that. I don't want them to be spectacular. I want Polka Dot Man. <laughs> I want, you know, the Sylvester Stallone King Shark. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I want that. I want everything to be kind of sloppy and ridiculous. That's the whole idea, right? And that these guys really, truly, at the end of the day, are fodder. They are there to die, you know? And uh, I just think there's so much more interesting shit to explore with a depressive polka dot man right right he seems that way right like he's this kind of depressive like he knows he sucks he knows he's not a good you know he doesn't have, not a powerful villain uh yeah i just think i think that stuff's really great and then and also um the main villain of Starro. Oh, that's amazing. The the uh, was the first villain actually. I didn't know this. The Starro was the first villain. Oh yeah, to go up against the Justice League of America in the comic books. He's right there on the cover. There's Superman and Green Lantern fighting a big dumb starfish. He's an intelligent. Uh, it is an intelligent alien life form resembling a giant starfish. And Gunn chose that character because he found the character to be both ridiculous and quote fucking terrifying which is the aim for the film as a whole so you see this ridiculous looking shark man and then you see him rip a dude in half and it's like so over the top violent but at the same time there's a bizarre comedy to it this clunkiness to it that i i'm just so into the aesthetic and what i've seen in the trailers it is still so weird to me as a fan of comic books growing up because it was always dc was the squeaky clean book even though they had like watchmen and dark knight returns and stuff 
even that was still like headier, I guess. And in its own imprint, so it was a little different too. Yeah. yeah. But for like meat and potatoes, like we're talking Wolverine, we're talking Cable, we're talking Deadpool, we're talking The Punisher. For like cool, violent, like, you know, not baby shit comic books. It was Marvel. Yeah, and Image Comics took that a step further, but never DC. DC was always the like... If you're like a good guy and an upstanding person and you don't like and that. And I was, Holden. Stuff. We've talked about this many times, especially on the bonus feed in our year that was series. I was a good little Dude, boy. Smoke smokes cigarettes and, so I was and a- reads fun comic books, kids. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and now, uh, because Disney Marvel just has that lane so locked down, we're the same universe that had Superman and Wonder Woman is now the one where... A Sylvester Stallone shark rips a guy in half on screen in a blockbuster tentpole movie. Uh, James Gunn said, for me, it's about our changing world and people who have a very difficult time making connections, being able to make some small connections. My mission statement was just to make the most fun film I could and not balk at anything. I knew I had a chance that very few filmmakers have ever had, which is to make a huge budget film with no holds barred in terms of the plot, the effects, the sets. I felt a responsibility to take chances, which I think is cool, especially considering that he was almost completely like blackballed from the... From Hollywood, and he still feels that way. The film will release on August 6th, 2021 in theaters and on HBO Max. At the time of this recording, it may already be out, but uh, I can't wait. I just have loved... I've, it's definitely one of those movies I stopped looking at trailers. I only saw the first trailer for the film because I know I'm going to see it as, as soon as humanly possible after it comes out, hopefully yeah. in the movie theater as well. Honestly, I, I like need a movie like yeah. this right now. I am desperate for this everything i've seen actually i really enjoyed fast nine great movie theater movie i really enjoyed uh kong versus godzilla but i haven't seen anything that's per se just completely floored me and i'm kind of hoping this does because it really does just look so exciting i love the look of it i love the color tone of it everything it just it just looks like my shit so uh yeah that's that's how that's that's the final word from Holden McNeil. Holden, we better we better sign out before the chips in our brains explode. Exactly. Uh man, let's just hear that pink Cadillac song again. What is it again? No, no, no. Purple Lamborghini. Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Prince. Uh <laughs> Maybe we'll close out with that. Rick Ross and Skrillex holding the sound of our generation. Uh, You can check us out. Thanks for listening to our episode on Suicide Squad. If you want to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We have weekly bonus episodes for $5 a month. For $15 a month, you can join us for the Sunday study sessions, weekly sessions where we get together and talk about that shit we gonced to be researching that week. And uh, we really have a great time over there. It's a really fun community. I'm very excited about what what we've been doing on our Discord. Also, check me out, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators. Ho, Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. Jake! Really got to press the flesh on that Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. It keeps the lights on. It keeps our families fed. It makes things worth living. And I, if you like what we're throwing down, you are going to love those bonus episodes. Just give it a look, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Just take a peek, just a no commitment, just to like open the page and just like fondle the pledge button. Just like, just gently hover over it. And if you click or not, I don't care. I'm not judging, just at least get to the hover stage. That's all I need from you. Uh, follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung for all my thoughts and plops and little tidbits of research for the upcoming week's episodes. And uh, if you're feeling sassy, I have a VTuber persona. That's right. I have accepted my fate. I am now a cartoon character on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash puppet Jared 
there's all the VODs on there. We've I just did a tier list of the 80s and 90s theme songs. I've played video games. I've done karaoke, all in a glorious purple package. Uh, that sounded dirty, but it's not, but also it is dirty. All right, and always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Purple Lamborghini, purple Lamborghini lurking. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.